Good morning. Well, people are out celebrating Thanksgiving early, aren't they? Thank you, praise team. I am glad that you're here this morning. Last Sunday was great with Rick Allen. What a great message. Great altar time. And it's good to see Michael, Day-Day, and Isaiah back. You guys back. Amen. Brenda just mentioned to me, Ladavian, that you could pass for Devante Smith. Have you had that? Yeah, like, you, you know, you don't even know you're famous, you know, but you look famous anyway. It's good to have you guys back from college. Um, I'm going to jump into the message here in just a minute. I want to say something about um, next Sunday, December the 1st. Debt Retirement Sunday is going to be a great day. Um, by the way, we're like a month and one day from Christmas. So it's just kind of all right here together, isn't it? Um, and next year, 2020, Thanksgiving time, will be the 400th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims at Plymouth Rock. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I, I don't know how many uh, are in the education system that are getting an idea of, of who those people were that took that great leap of faith and got on the Mayflower. There was Speedwell also that was left there, but uh, they had to turn back because of a leak. You don't want to head into the Atlantic Ocean with a leaking sailboat. But, um, you know what, I guess half the congregation of that church managed to get on the Mayflower and head this way. And uh, the Mayflower Compact, self-governance, there's so many firsts about that. And that's for probably a different message. But uh, it's, it's the way we, we celebrate Thanksgiving because of those pilgrims that came here. You know, they're kind of vilified in some way that they brought European diseases here. And, well, the reality was... Just about all the women died that first winter. So it was brutal on them. The, the children were really resilient. A lot, most of the children survived that first winter, but a number of the, the wives, mothers, lost their lives in that first brutal winter. So, uh, but next Sunday is going to be an exciting time. It, it could be, it has the potential to be historic. Um, and we could reach 50,000, who knows? Uh, we're praying, believing for that. I'll tell you this, uh, a few Sundays ago when Teen Challenge was here, the first $1,000 of that was given by Brother Wilson, Ed Wilson. And uh, it's kind of interesting, I'll just give you a heads up, that the church now can own stock. We've opened up an account with a financial firm because they said we got someone. Um, they're not attending here on a regular basis. Um, it's been a while since they've been here, but um, they responded to that appeal, and um, we got a call that says, we, wanna, we need to set you up with an account for stock because it's going to be a direct transfer. So we created a stock account for TFA. We can own stock. Come on. And it wasn't in, the, it, it wasn't in our portfolio long. It was uh, sold out, and about $2,000 is being transferred to us. So who knows where it's going to come from, but we're going to make a huge dent in that mortgage. Right now it stands at about 208000 and uh, 
we're going to knock a good chunk of that out. Uh, and then the following two weeks from today is going to be our missions emphasis, and uh, Chi Alpha is going to be our guest, have the service. Um, I just wanted to make sure of the numbers, and I asked Josh, there's six staff people on the Chi Alpha staff and five interns on this leadership. And you think about that and, and the support that's, that's given to them, uh, we also have Blaine and Hannah Young that came out of this Chi Alpha and is now leading American University. Come on. Chi Alpha at American University in Washington, D.C. Praise God. And uh, we're going to hear from them by way of a video. Um, one of our missionaries out of our church grew up right here from the time she was born to when she headed to Honduras, Jess endured. Jess also was a product of Chi Alpha, UA Chi Alpha. Charles and Amanda Gravely, I'm, I'm mentioning a name that's going to go way, way back for some of you. When the Gravleys were still here, here, Charles and Amanda are in Brussels, Belgium, doing university ministry, Chi Alpha in Belgium. We also have Susan Ricketts, who's coming back here in a couple weeks, and she's going to She's going to have a table set up. She's itinerating. She's back from Japan. She's doing university ministry. I'm just telling you, this church has its footprint all over the world. And Chi uh, Alpha Ministry, there's not a better place for us to engage our world than on the university campuses around the world. And uh, this team went to Vietnam. They've been to India. They've been to Sri Lanka. Uh, where else did you guys go that I'm missing? Indonesia, right, twice I think you guys have been to Indonesia. And, um, and the, the, in the um, minds that are inquiring about the great questions of life, that's really happening on the university campus. So um, it's going to be an, this is going to be a great month. Uh, not too many people know this, not because I just haven't said too much about it, but right after, the day after, our missions emphasis, I'm on a board of plane. And we'll spend three days in Cuba on a missions trip. So I've been assured uh, that David Rayleigh says, I will get back. So, but I'm looking forward to that. So much is going on in Cuba mission-wise. Well, let's jump right into the message. I'm going to take you to um, two places in the Word of God. One is in Proverbs chapter 3. Another one is in Malachi. We're going to hit Malachi in a couple places. Um, when Israel entered into what is called the Ha'er, it's the land, because Israel's covenant with God is connected to the land. It's all connected to the land. When uh, Israel entered, finally entered into that promised land, um, God made uh, them remember again and again through certain ways to say, I'm giving you the land. You're not just going to acquire the land. You're not just going to conquer the land. I am giving the land to you. This is my promise to Abraham, and now it's time for you to inherit the promises that was given to him. God showed Abraham and says, look, as far as you can see right here, all this that you see is going to be given to your descendants. And that's exactly what happened in Exodus. The people of Israel, the people of promise, finally came into that land. Now, here's what happened in that land. God allowed them to stay in Egypt long enough for the corruption and the sin 
of the Canaanite culture to come to a place where it, it reached that level where God says, I've got to replace the culture that's in that land with a different culture. The Canaanite culture had gotten to the point that it was, it's hard for us to imagine people sacrificing their children, human sacrifice, idolatry. It was as pagan and as decadent as a culture could be. It, it was unbelievable what was going on within that culture. The very thing that God displaced, that culture of um, paganism and idolatry, was a culture that can be described with one word. One word. I'm prone to have these rhetorical questions I give you. And uh, Andrew's not here, so he's not going to answer them for me. But, uh, you know, that's when someone doesn't know the rules, just like you ask a question, hey, I have the answer, let me answer but um, one word described the culture that God wanted to put in the land through the people of Israel. Would you want to take a stab at it? It's the title of the message, Honor. God wanted to establish, a, it says, oh, that doesn't sound like everybody's clapping, yay. But everything flows from that. And I'm going to reference, before we go over in, into Malachi, I'm going to reference one of the great chapters in Proverbs, chapter 3, because part of that chapter, like in verse 6, that great admonition, exhortation, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Right after that, there's another admonition, fear the Lord. And then right after that, in verse 9, this is where I'm going to take you. I memorized this mostly out of King James. It looks like most of us who grew up in church, that's the, that's the translation we're used to. But it talks about honor the Lord with thy substance. Is it up there? And with the first fruits of all thine increase. And then he has this blessing that's going to follow. This word honor is where we're going to focus on today. It is the Hebrew word kabod, and it means to make heavy, and it's really close to the word glory, which is kabod, and it means heaviness. Actually, sometimes honor is translated in the Bible to be glorified, to add value to, to add weight to, to add importance to. And so when he says, honor the Lord with thy substance, he's talking about creating a culture of honoring God to put him in a place of value. Solomon articulated this in Proverbs 3 when he wrote these words, honor the Lord with your substance. Uh, the NIV may, may say wealth or with what you have. We don't look at our resources as wealth. But if someone from a third world country looked at you, they would look at you as wealthy, when you go to Haiti, you're one of the most wealthy people that walks the streets. Not with what you have on you, but what you have access to. Their biggest need is water. Even the well water is contaminated in Haiti. I, 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 had, the, I had the privilege of going there. And, and every place, the most valued thing that they have is a water filter sulfur, softening system. Because even deep wells, the water is not good in Haiti. We don't even think about that. 
probably very few of us got it this morning and said, Lord, thank you for this hot shower. But just try to take one without the hot water and you'll start praising the Lord. Or you'll have a joyful time one way or another. But even people there, we, we have a wealth and he's talking about what you have. Honor the Lord with what you have. And this is, this is a culture that we are in desperate need of, of recovering, right? Ask any educator, and we have some here that teach as young as pre-K all the way up through secondary education. Almost every educator and every principal and people who work in the education system says this is one of the greatest needs that they have is an honor and respect for authority. That even kid pre-K are being difficult to manage because there's an absence of honor. There's an absence of respect of authority. Honor the Lord with your substance. That's the exhortation. And with the first fruits. Now, it's talking more about than just respect. It's talking about what you're giving. You're speaking of offerings here, which literally means the tenth. The tithe is the word masir, which means the tenth. I asked, I asked a number of people in the lobby, um, what is the first instance of tithing in the Bible? That the word tithe is actually used. And it's recorded and repeated in the book of Hebrews. It's, it predated the law. It predated Moses getting the law on Mount Sinai by 500 years. It's when Abraham went after the people who had kidnapped his nephew and kidnapped a lot of people out of Sodom and Gomorrah, went after them with his farm hands for all practical purposes. That kind of lets you know he had a pretty good ranch life going on. And they tracked down a five-nation army that did all that damage and defeated them, brought all the, all the stuff they stole, gave it back to the, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he wanted to give Abraham some of it. He says, no, no, I, none of that. I don't, I don't have any need for any of that. But what he, what he took as spoil from those five armies that they defeated, he stopped off at a priest named Melchizedek, and he gave him a tenth, a tithe of what he captured from the enemy. This is the first instance where it says that there was a tithe given. And it was like an offering to the priest. He is also a king as well. Jesus talked about offerings, did he not? He, in in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you give, don't make a big deal out of it. But he didn't say, if you give, he says, when you give. He didn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. He went through all these things. And he also pointed out this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. Sitting one time near the temple, there, there was people going by and they was dropping their offerings in the treasury box outside the temple. And the disciples watching and Jesus pointed out a particular person who gave their offering that day, did he not? And it was a widow woman who had two mites, like a penny in our currency, and she dropped those two mites into that treasury box. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I want to tell you something. She gave more than the guy in front of her because the man in front of her gave out of what he had, his abundance. She dropped in 
everything she had. Some of you might remember Paul Yonggi Cho or the, or the, church, in Seoul, the, the church in Central Korea, South, Seoul, South Korea. It used to be 400, 500,000 people in that church. They could see 10,000 people at a time and then have services all through Sunday and everybody couldn't get into a service. But they would blow a whistle and tell everybody to get out. And says, you make room and here comes the next 10,000. But when they built that massive building in Seoul, South Korea, they were strapped for money. The economy had just tanked. And they were having kind of like, not what we're having because we're reducing the debt, but they were just trying to get more resources. So they called for a day of where people would bring an offering. And the, and the turning point in that church was a, was a w poor woman in the church who brought her chopsticks and bow was the only thing that she had to eat with. She brought that and put it on the altar and says, whatever you can get for that, that's my contribution. It was kind of like the, the widow with the two mites. And it kind of seized everybody's attention and says, well, you know what? We can sacrifice more than what we're doing. And it set the church on sacrificial giving. And they finished that project. It's amazing. So Jesus talked about that. He talked about offerings. Do you realize that the first catastrophe that happened in the early church was about money? It was about money. It was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And it wasn't, it wasn't really about money, but it, the problem centered around money. Money is not good or evil. The Bible says it's the love of money that is the root. It's not money itself. But here was two people who sold some property. Everybody was selling property. It was... You know, someone told me recently, he said, well, you know, the church does, the New Testament talks, doesn't talk too much about tithing and anything. It's like you give differently. I said, yeah, and they started by selling everything they had and pooling their resources. So I don't know if anybody wants to do that today. But here's two people, they sold their property, and here was the problem. It wasn't the money, it was what they wanted people to think about them. They wanted everybody to think that they were giving everything that they sold that property for. And Peter even asked them, did you sell it for this amount? Yes. And I said, yes, that's, that's the amount we sold it for. And he said, why have you decided to lie to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to us. You've lied to God. It wasn't about the money, was it? It was the perception they wanted. they wanted. They wanted the pride of saying, see, we're giving everything. We're like the little widow giving her two mites. We're, just, we're like the lady with the bowl and chopsticks. This is all, and we're giving it all. And they wanted people to think about how great of a giver they were. And then Ananias dropped dead. His wife comes in, and the same thing is replayed. It's like, well, that's drastic measure. It's almost, listen, it's almost as God says, we have got to stop a culture of deceit that will displace honor. God has always wanted his people to honor him. It's the same, kabod is the same as the word that opens the fifth commandment, the first commandment in our relationship. What is that? Honor your father and mother. And Jesus even pointed out that honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a what? Promise. And the promise is you're going to live longer. And probably practically you're going to live longer because... If you take their advice, you'll make better decisions, right? But it's the same concept, honor and respect. He did not say that you had to agree with 
your parents throughout your adult life. Just honor them. Give them the respect. When they're, when they're sick, take care of them. When they are in need, take care of them. And that was being eroded in Jesus' time, if you'll just read about it. Let me take you to Malachi, because here's the first book in the Bible records Abraham tithing 500 years before the law was given in the book of Exodus. And here's the last book in our Old Testament, and it talks to chapter 3. We can go to chapter 3 right now, but I think it would be a disservice to what Malachi was getting from the Lord if we did that. So we're going to stop right here in, in chapter 1 of Malachi. I want you to see it's all about a culture of honor. Look in verse 6. The Lord says, this is a prophecy, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? This is God speaking to them. Where, where's the honor that I want you to honor me with? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? In other words, just the opposite of honor is dishonor, disrespect. And this is the answer, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. We're going to kind of touch on this. This is really interesting exchange here. So when you offer... When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? This is God speaking to them. When you offer a blind animal, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animal, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? You know, like, hey, we're going to have this we're going to have lamb chops and you know there's like sores all over the lambs. So, and nah, I don't think we'll eat that. So he says, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. It's kind of like God said, just stop it. I'd rather you not do anything than that. Shut the place up. Shut the doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Am I not pleased? I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. I'd, I'd rather you have nothing in your hand than that. And what, he's, what the Lord is saying is the offering of animals blemished is the result of their attitude of dishonor. They didn't have an attitude of honor, they had an attitude of dishonor. And he says, I won't accept that. If you look down in verse 11, follow this with me. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Will you bring injured or lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices? Should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat. Well, this is interesting language, isn't it? <laughs> Cursed is the cheat who has accepted, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. 
For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. In a culture of disrespect and dishonor, this is what happens. The people know better. They even pledge better. They say, well, okay, we're, we're going to do better next time. We're going to offer, we have a, a, an animal out there that's perfect, and when it comes time, so I say, you know what? We just, we just need to get by. And this is what happens when you have a culture of disrespect. This is what happens. So what does it mean when they said, the table of the Lord is contemptible and it's already defiled. This is what he's implying, that they look at what's going on and they say, well, other people are offering blemished animals. Why should we offer our good ones? The altar is already messed up. So we're not going to be the ones to give them the best that we have out of our herd. They're not doing it, and this is what happens. Dishonor spreads like wildfire because we're like, they're getting away with it. I guess we'll get away with it. Somebody tells somebody how to get away with something, and they start doing what they can to get away with it. And this is what they were doing. And, and in the Old Testament, the principle of, a, of honor is the culture that God requires of his own. Everybody... Everybody, I've come to this, you've heard me say this before, I think everybody is a faithful tither and they give offerings. It's just a matter of who you're tithing to and who your offerings are going for. And especially that first tenth, that first tithe. Look down and we're going to jump to chapter 3 here in verse 6, but before we get there, I want you to look at the last statement in chapter 2 that leads in to chapter 3. This is verse 17. I think it is. Chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask, by saying? And this is the attitude they had. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. It seems like they're, they're not hurting. Look at that. They're getting by. And even the psalmist says, you know, I'm, I'm really bothered. It seems like all the wicked people are successful and all the people who are godly are just barely making it. You've never heard that argument, have you? All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? This is how they looked at things in evaluating what other people were doing. The leaders had fallen victim to, well, whatever, whatever. I'll just give whatever. And that seeps in and it becomes a, a culture of dishonor. There's really not a lack of money. There's not a lack of what we offer to the Lord. A lack of time. And then we get to this in chapter 3. This is really interesting. There is so much in the Bible I wish I could preach on in one setting. <laughs> There's just so much good in the Word of God. Verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. And everybody said... Amen. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What he's saying is like, I'm a merciful God and I don't change, and that's why you're still breathing. Okay, because you're doing exactly what I don't want you to do, but I'm, I'm not going to destroy you because he wants them. He don't want to destroy them. He wants them to be repentant. He wants them to come back to the truth of honoring him. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and it's like another word for repentance, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to turn? How are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? 
Can a person, a mortal person, rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And his answer is this. In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. It's kind of like that verse 14 in chapter 2. He says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in the flock and decides to offer a blemished male. He says, you're cheating God out of what's his. Here's the idea about why is this? Why, why did God institute in Leviticus and Deuteronomy in, in the instructions to the people about tithing and offering? What is, the, what is that? What he wants them to know is that he owns everything and it's already his. But all that he requires is that you honor him with the first tenth. The, nine, the 90% is for your enjoyment, for you to, to live out purposefully. But he says, I give you the land, and in giving you the land, you honor me with giving the tenth of what you increase. The tenth. In fact, the Feast of Pentecost was called the Feast of Weeks. It's also called the Feast of Harvest. And in that feast, the first fruits of the wheat harvest was way before the Lord. It was their way of saying, Lord, thank you for the wheat we have. They, 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 they did this all the time. They presented grain. It wasn't just animal sacrifice. They would bring grain and barley and, and things that they grew. They would like bring that first of that to the Lord. It says, God, you have prospered us. We want you to have that first tenth. And he says, you're cursed with a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It's kind of interesting, Robert Morris. If you want to get a really better description of all this, just pull up a Robert Morris on the principle of tithing and honoring God and the, and the redemption of the firstborn and all this. But Robert Morris says this about this very verse. He says, you'd never see in the Bible about us paying our tithes. I know we probably use that term every now and then, but it's, you don't pay your tithes. And you don't give your tithes because you cannot give. This is Robert Morris. I give him credit. He says, you cannot give what is not yours. And what is not yours and what is not mine is that tenth. That's the Lord's. It's not ours. And when we take it and use it for ourselves, we're stealing it. My dad said one time that he feels like preaching on this. And he never was in the pulpit without a jacket and a tie. See, I am loosening up a little bit. I don't have a tie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For affirmation. Yes, it's working. But my dad said, one day I'm going to preach on tithing, and I'm going to take my jacket off and go over and lay it down in the middle of my message, and all of a sudden I'm going to come back and says, wait a minute. And he goes back and picks it up. I want to say, I'm going to pick up my jacket, because if there's someone here stealing from God, certainly they would steal my jacket. But he just said he would, do, he would like to do that. He never did that. But according to this, he doesn't, he doesn't say that you might be misusing what belongs to the Lord. He just kind of strong words, isn't it? You're actually stealing from him. And what does that bring? It doesn't bring that. That verse 10 talks about, you know, if you honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of all your increase, your, your barns will be filled with plenty and the vats will flow new wine it's not like there'll be money in your pocket what he's saying is that what you have your hands to will be blessed and for them you couldn't speak a greater blessing over them than their farming 
And this is how they live. They raise, some of you probably grew up in a place like I, we, we raised all of our produce. We raised just about everything. He said, what about the animals? We did that too for a while. We didn't kill the hog. We sent the hog off to be killed. I understand there's probably some people in this room that's been at a hog killing, but you have to wait until it's really cold. That's really going back in time. But these are the way these people lived, and this is what he's saying. If you will honor me, I will honor you, and what you have left in your hands will be more supply than what you could ever make without giving the tithe. And this is where I think our trust in God comes in. I hated doing a budget when we, when we got married. It scared me. I don't even know how we made it. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do a budget again. Because I, I don't even know how we're making it. But it really never crossed my mind that the first place we would cut was honoring God. And somehow he stretched. He stretched all that. It was amazing. You know, I don't know if you ever had anybody come to your residence. Now, people don't do that door-to-door because you might get shot doing stuff door-to-door now. But people came to our door in a trailer park in Lakeland, Florida, and knocked on the door and said, we got a really good plan here. We'll give you a freezer. If you agree, anybody know what I'm about to say? If you agree with having so much frozen food sent to you and shipped to you, and, and I think the, the thing was $40 a month, we will supply you. The freezer will be free if you just agree to do this for X amount of months or years or whatever. And, and I said, did you say $40 a month groceries? He says, yeah, you'll save $40 a month. He says, man, we don't have $40 a month to spend on groceries. Your calculation, well, you're a couple. You're going to spend. I says, we don't. You're not even close to what we spend. So he lost our sale right there. I was you calculated it wrong, buddy. He looked at us and almost felt far enough to give us some money or something. But, you know, what we have left is blessed. Listen to what he says. If you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the praise team can come on up. If you'll bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there will be food in my house, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't it interesting that the one thing God leaves with his people is this truth? I do not change. I'm unchanging. He keeps his promise. We have the song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, What's next? Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. Will a man rob God? Looks like he can. But the very next verse in Proverbs 3.10 is this. You know, there's going to be a harvest. The barns will be filled with plenty, and the vats will flow with new wine. If you love your three-year-old, you know, right, right after this, it talks about, in Proverbs 3, the very next exhortation is, the Lord chastens whom he loves. He corrects us, 
and a, and a parent that really loves their three or four year old is going to say, you know, what you did is disrespectful. You, you know, you can you can break a you can break something because we all break something. We all knock something off the table. It says, but you just don't want disrespect to become their culture. I remember one of our prime timers said to me one day, this is a long time ago, and they're, they're not in the room right now, so I'm not. Had one of his grandchildren in the vehicle with him, and he, when they got home, he told his grandma, says, Granddaddy used the S word. Use the S word. And the grandma says, What? Yes, he called somebody stupid. No name calling, but it slipped. It was in there to slip, wasn't it? But what what was what was the whole purpose of that? Because the child had already been taught honor, and that was stepped across, and it was the child correcting the adult. And I te- guarantee you, they will be gladly available to correct you when you step outside of that culture of honor. Would you stand with me? We're going to do, this is a move. What are, what are we doing? You do that? Sounds good. All right, you're up. I'm telling you, there was a breakthrough last Sunday at this altar. And, you know, take this message and do with it whatever you want. That's, that's your part. I did my part. But I want, if you need healing in your body, if you're, if you're in pain right now, you have a discomfort right now, I want you to come and stand across the front. Because I think one of the things God wants to do is just bring healing. We got two people facing surgery. Brother Leon is facing surgery next week. And I want to pray for you. And uh, Carrie is facing surgery. She needs God's hand on her. So, um, you want to come down in her place? And we're gonna, she really needs God to work in this surgery and bring healing to her. So, if some of you want to come and just stand with these who are up here and let's lay hands on them, um, we're going to be praying for Leon. And if you know of someone that needs healing, somebody's battling cancer, sing a song about God slaying giants here in that song. The giants are being slain. And, and there's some giants in people's lives that need to be slain. Addiction needs to be slain. Stand for them. Stand and ask God to break the addiction off. If you know someone who is battling some form of addiction, just come and stand here and say, Lord, I take authority over that and I'm standing for them that there would be healing. Hallelujah.